0: Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks
1: Technology. Hello, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Marlowe FM and welcome to the web. This is Sam Sethi and I've got a brilliant guest with me today. Hello to Nicole Yershon.
2: Hello, Sam.
1: Hello, how are you? Um, So what are we going to be doing today? Well, we're going to be talking about Nicole's new book, Rough Diamonds. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be understanding what Nicole does. So let's start off with who are you and what do you do?
2: Okay. I'm Nicole Yershin, and um, I'm a mom and I'm an entrepreneur and I make things happen. I have an ability to kind of cut through a lot of allowed to swear on here bullshit no no, okay. no. <laughs> sorry i won't do it again <laughs> so that's kind of person i am <laughs> okay. um and uh just just you know getting through like everyone else nothing major human and um but do have a capacity to uh, to make things happen and and um i don't know kind decent loyal trustworthy good good adjectives i think yes
1: so um what I want to do is learn about what you do. So you work for a New York Collective. What is that?
2: What well, NYC? Actually, it's not New York Collective. Oh, okay, Nicole Yershon Collective. <laughs> <Of course. laughs>
1: I'm thinking to myself, NY, NY, New York, yeah, she works in New York, maybe that's why. But
2: that's the good play, isn't it? Because my parents, bless them, gave me the initials that are the same as New York City, so that's the name of my company, NYC, the NY Collective.
1: Okay, and what does the NY Collective do?
2: NY Collective, if you imagine there's a lot of stuff going on out there with technology and change and disruption and um, what I do is, what the company does is we bring the outside world and everything that is happening in those spaces in to organizations who are so busy with their day job they don't really know what is happening when they look above their desks so we're there to help them in in all manner of ways whether it be inspire days education days workshops um going in and actually working with them on retainers and working on specific projects and implementation business transformation all of that kind of stuff
1: so can you give us a good example of a case study you might have been working on recently or
2: yeah, um, worked on um, worked on something recently with the London Business School and um, a large pharmaceutical company. And they, London Business School, will get me in to talk about the practicalities of how do you affect change within a large organisation because it's notoriously difficult, um, and a lot of people say no. And um, I'm the kind of person that does it anyway. That was the reputation I had in in the organisation that I worked at for. Um, almost 17 years
1: which we'll cover in a minute which is Ogilvy yeah Yeah.
2: yeah. so I will work with a pharmaceutical company and um, with people who are heavily involved in wanting to change different ways you know the ways in which they're working currently and uh, it's funny because I've never worked in pharmaceuticals yet I will have the same understanding of what the pain that they're going through of um, really not knowing what to do or how to um, trial things or, or fail quickly or um I don't know, there there was a I'll give you an example, there was um they'd said to me that they had lots of ideas and they kept going back to their bosses and they kept saying the bosses kept saying we don't have any money for you to do that or to trial it or to to see what else you can do so I just said well there's six of you here do you all have access to a pot of money and they said yes I said so just take a little section of money from each of your pot which then is in one big pot now between you let's work out one problem that you can also solve between the six of you Um, which we did when we sorted there and then. So I then said to them, so what's your problem? Who are you waiting on approval for budget um, from? And they kind of looked at me in this, like I'd given them the crown jewels, but they'd been so busy with the day job and kept their narrative was they say no, they say no, they say no, where they they didn't really think about maybe there's another way. So now they've gone off with a group of six people that have a pot of money with one problem that they're going to go and solve without having to ask permission.
1: So why why do you think people when they hit a brick wall in a mm. corporate world yeah. never think well I can go over it I can go under it mm. I can go around it why do why do they hit the brick wall and just stop
2: there's different personalities within um, organisations and you have um, mavericks like myself or...
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm a maverick too.
2: <laughs> um, or the disruptors or the, um, you know, what they you know they call us the naughty ones. Yes. A little bit like the kids in school where they're told not to ask any questions and to sit down and shut up and I don't want to hear from you all day. But yet they're the curious ones who say, well, why and who says and how calm And, and we are the same within organisations. This kind of personality, this disruptive personality is just wanting to find another way. And not everyone is like that within a company, but hopefully there are enough people within a company with those attributes, entrepreneurial, intrapreneurial attributes, which is an entrepreneurial spirit within a very large company. Yeah, And they are given... um, Autonomy by an enlightened CEO to go off and try new stuff and and see if there's another way, quicker, better, stronger, faster way of doing things, particularly with technology changing all the time.
1: I was reading a reading, watching a, a TED talk the other day, and they said uh, this guy was about um, how people procrastinate, and he was mm. a pre pre-pro, pre procrastinator, right? <laughs> so he would never procrastinate. So he did his. Uh, university theses 6 weeks 7 weeks 10 weeks before it was yeah. due in right i'm a procrastinator um. i know it because if i you know i'll leave it and leave it um and he was talking about people who find creative how do they find creativeness and sometimes it's like they do the first draft the second draft the yeah. third draft and they rip them up and then they do the fourth draft and that's the one that is actually the useful one yeah but he said there was a really good test to tell how people are creative or intrapreneurs or entrepreneurs. Um, It's simple. He says, people who use Google Chrome. (laughs) And I went, why just Google Chrome? And he said, basically, what it is, is they don't take the default. So the default on your mobile phone is Safari or your Apple Mac is Safari Mm. or your Windows is Internet Explorer. Mm. You have to want to find Chrome Go out and get it, yeah. load it, and use it. And he said, "It's those people who do that are actually the people who don't accept the norm, the standard, yeah. the given." And he said, "The so curious he, ones." Yeah. So he said that was a. They did a Stanford study on it, and mm. he said that's what they found: people who change their browser yeah. at least. They're showing an inclination towards moving that way.
2: Mm. And and that was, you know, I was given a very specific brief when I was working in corporate world from 2000. My brief was to bring them into the 21st century. So I had a very open brief. They didn't even really know what it was they wanted me to do. So we should
1: mention, this is Ogilvy.
2: Yeah. Is it Ogilvy and
1: Mather or just Ogilvy?
2: No, I think it's just Ogilvy.
1: But it was Ogilvy and Mather. Yeah. Okay, so... How long ago did you join them, roughly?
2: So I was there in 2000 with a brief from the chairman at the time to bring them into the 21st century to move them from an analogue world to a digital world.
1: Okay, which is a pretty broad brief.
2: Very. And the chairman at the time who I'd worked with at my previous job and my previous job before that so I'd never done a CV but I had a reputation if you want something done you ask a busy person so I started in (laughs) yeah
1: true I've heard that before but I do like it
2: yeah I started in in one particular role and um, I ended up in a totally different role just because people would just say oh can you do us a favor you need to move we're merging with another company don't trust anybody else can you help us move into a new building or like I've never done these things before but I get given these briefs and I I ask the right questions and know enough people to then make those things happen I don't necessarily need to know how to do it myself but I know the right people to pull in and that's a kind of a super connector role Um, so he brought me in he said it's like when I went in to talk to him he said it's like the civil service I, I just have no idea what is is getting done it's paper everywhere tapes everywhere um so can you know how an, uh, an, an organization and an agency should run how can we do things that are going to make us better and more streamlined and, and bringing digital
1: so where do you start i mean 2000 the world wasn't that flexible i
2: yeah
1: i mean i just left netscape um and I remember having to do a CV, and and going to see these horrible headhunters who would tell you, "Oh, anything less than three years, you're not a real serious career person." And now you look at anyone who spends more than three years in a company, you think, "What's wrong with them?" Yeah, you're a stick in the mud. You know, what's yeah. you know, I wouldn't want the hire. You. You're not mm. curious enough. You know, going back yeah. to that. So I was the you know every three years, two years, three years moving, and of course you go into these what were still i would call corporate boxes you know the grey boxes yeah. so you've come into Oak you've got the chairman's permission yes. to go and make change yeah but that doesn't mean you can make change
2: well when you're a doer you find that um you you stick around longer because uh, although you're a pain in the, the arse, derriere yeah
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um they know that you deliver because it just seems to be something that not many people can do. I don't know why, and I didn't know it was a skill of mine until I kind of got there and just felt, that there weren't that many there were meetings after meetings after meetings and i was just so i that that's not how i worked i came from Gold goldgreen's trot with dave trot and simon's palmer and um, yep. and we were all of a certain ilk and um, when i was there i thought everyone was like me out you know i thought that I was i was normal and then i went to a large corporate you know 2000 people in in london office and i just stuck out like a sore thumb because no one uh, was good on the doing. Right. Uh, it was lots of meetings.
1: But is that because they all just wanted to hit their T's and meet their I's, get their monthly pay packet, get their bonuses, I down? I think,
2: yeah, they're not going to get sacked, are they, for um, for asking questions and mm. saying, well, why not, and who says, and how calm? and there's another way, or I've just met this company and they're really good and I think we should trial them. Or um, you, Number one, they're not measured on on being curious yeah. and i think that's a really big thing um, you know it was part of my job spec so i i had permission to To be a maverick, which was amazing and very, you know, I, t- I do take my hat off to them at that time for for being enlightened in in that respect. So I just, um, you know, because I knew how agencies ran, I was able to look at a few small things that I knew I could move from an analog to a digital world. So a workflow system, workflow system, okay. finance system, digital asset management system, um, digitizing all their archive. TV commercials going back to the 50s that were stored in archive in Stockwell. They were paying God knows how much per month on storage. And I kind of got uh, young kids from Ravensbourne to digitise all of them. And then start to put them in a in a, a digital library. And then I started to do digital delivery. So get rid of tapes, get rid of couriers and start to um, send TV commercials around the world digitally. So I would have phone calls from people saying, where's my tape? And I'd say, well, I haven't sent it. They'd then scream at me saying, you know, you're going to make me miss my air date. And and I would say to them, you know, go to your post house and pull it down. Saying that now seems normal. Saying it in 2000 was not a normal occurrence. Um, They wanted something physical.
1: Okay, so you've come in, you've made changes. What was the sort of backlash? There will be a backlash. So what was the backlash?
2: People. So, everyone talks about technology changes. Um, that's kind of a given. It's just going to keep on improving and you're not going to stop it. But it's people not wanting the change or being fearful of the change or it just creating a pain for them during the day. We all know what it felt like in the early days when iOS um, was going to have an upgrade and it, it showed you on your um, settings and you'd kind of think, oh, I really don't want to do that because it's <laughs> going to mess up my diary or it's going to. It's the same feeling of just not wanting that change but I promise you when you go through when you do the kind of work that I do it's really just three months it's almost like I'd liken it to having a baby and when a baby is crying when they're first born and you kind of get the light at the end of the tunnel about th- 12 weeks three months when you you get a new normal right. and you forget what it was like beforehand and you then just carry on as if it's always been the case okay
1: so so you've come in you've made changes mm. So Ogilvy Labs how did it work? I mean what what what, what did you do to make it work?
2: Um, at the time when I, um, so I put, implemented those changes at the time. I was very conscious that there were all these things happening around me and I was getting really excited and was sending emails around saying, you know, there's something called Facebook, you know, you guys really need to pay attention. And, and people would send me emails back saying, stop spamming us. <laughs>
1: oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, they,
2: they didn't want to know yeah. about all of these things. It, they weren't interested. It wasn't part of their day job. It wasn't, um, relevant to them, but the curious, ones it was relevant to them and they loved it so there was started to be a little movement of people where and then I started to understand there was so much going on with social media gaming augmented reality virtual reality big data um, ethics behavior change I mean it was it was exploding that you weren't just doing a tv and press and poster ad and I wanted to understand what did that mean and who was doing it well who could I go to what partnerships could I collect and and, and work with other people not Mm. just the usual tried and tested so I I founded the um, innovation lab There were five around the world. And what we started to do was we started to bring the outside world in by creating a way to innovate within a large company, which we called the time Semesters of Learning. Okay. So our first semester of learning, so six months, very intense learning on one topic in particular. So the first ever one we did was streaming. And so for six months, I would see 10 to 15 different streaming companies every single week.
1: Anyone that stood out at the time?
2: It was a company called Riverdass who I really liked, and they were from Australia. Okay. Um, so I then pulled them in, and I'd found a client, Ford at the time, who were um, wanting to talk to all of their uh, teams around the world, to their staff. And I'd shown them that there's a really good way. So they were doing it in it's tiny and pixelated, and it was buffering and time when video content wasn't on you know well yeah. streamed on the web and this company could do full HD quality stream wow. on your desktop
1: high compression there.
2: yeah delivered really really quick live so we sold it into ford so he didn't do a 30 second tv ad we did a 90 second film of the ford chairman speaking to all his staff and it went to 22,000 desktops in 19 countries in five languages But we'd got the TV department to do it. So I'd said to the TV department, we're going to be doing a a live stream. And they said, well, that's not our job. We do TV. And I said, not anymore. (laughs) So we would then work with them to implement the the stream. And it's very frightening because we'd never done it before. They'd never done it before. The company were very small. It was a small startup. It was giving them a case study. And it went brilliantly because we put trust in that company to deliver upon something that was new and innovative and not been done so once we had done it once it meant it was a new product offering that you could then offer over and over again so therefore ogilvy were not then always going to offer tv and print but we could now offer streaming or gaming or mobile whatever the semester was we then had a mechanism to see who was out there attach it to business implement it Um, So you would have a a case study and then at the end of the semester we'd have a lab day for about 500 people and clients would attend and and, um, agency people would attend and then we'd wrap it all up. So over the years we probably did, I don't know, 15 years worth of um, semesters of learning twice a year across everything
1: and were they all published reports at the end of it
2: yes well they, there was always a case study right. that was actually physically done which would give the startup or the company that we were using a case study of them working with a client, an Ogilvy client and also Ogilvy and then they could put that that's gold dust oh yeah because then they could then if they were going to VCs or investors they could show their product working
1: yeah did you get people pitching you then
2: all the time right yeah, that was part of my seeing 10 to 15 different companies every single week
1: so you said you said to me we were having lunch at the, the complete angler, which is lovely lovely um, you enjoyed that logistic yes. yeah on the river <laughs> um, we, you were talking about the fact that you you saw Waze very yeah. early on yeah and did you you got it instantly?
2: Oh, God, yeah. I went, um, it was a delegation trip uh, with the culture minister at the time, I think, Ed Vasey, uh, with the British embassy and the Israeli embassy. And they were taking people over there. We must have seen over the course of about three days, 50 or so companies pitching to us. And they were incredible. And one of the companies pitching there was Face.com, which was the facial recognition. This, I mean, again, I'm maybe going back about six or seven years. Yeah five or six years, something like that. And then Waze was another one. And I remember going back to Ogilvy and saying to the Ford, the guy that ran Ford and saying, I've seen this thing, this company called Waze and you really need to, we need to put it in front of the Ford, um, uh, the people at Ford. And he said, why would I want to do that? (laughs) <laughs> Which was a really good learning for start to be a good learning for me that within marketing of those kind of companies they didn't understand a bit of, a bigger pi- business picture as to where ways could fit into manufacturing and in their cars and um, and Ford would then have a, a, something that was more relevant than than GPS uh, it, it just didn't even occur to these people
1: no I mean they were they, they were creating engines and boxes and now I have just Bought in um, in the process of buying the brand new evoke yeah and it 's more the salesman is pitching it to me because of the technology in the yeah. car. Nothing to do with the car at all. Yeah, it's totally turned on its head. Yeah, you know, oh my God, sir, do you know this car's got? uh, It's got a Wi-Fi hotspot in it, and do you know, (laughs) sir, it's got this, and do you know, sir, it's got that, and it's like. So,
2: but all of these things, they yes, they're technology based, but um, I think a lot of the things that we did within semesters and a lot of things I do now are they make it more human. So I did something with Great Western Railways where they were wanting me to do um, something with them about the. Uh, they asked me what the future of ticketing was and we were going to do a session and I said, I said to them, I don't, that's not the right um, thing that you should be concentrating on. So they didn't really want to listen to me so I got to the workshop's end, I took someone with me, a guy called Paul Tamala who's unbelievable with all things um, payments, has been for, I don't know, 20, 30 years and we turned up at the at the workshop for the client and we said, you think that we're going to be doing the future of ticketing? we're not we're doing the future of payments because no one cares about ticket so i'm still at that kind of disruptive stage where i'll do what's the right thing and not necessarily what it is that someone says that they should be doing
1: so okay so um I imagine if you ever met Henry Ford, that mm. would have been funny. Because, I mean, his famous one is if I'd asked people what they wanted, it would have been a faster horse. Yes. So, you know, fundamentally that's the same example. Yeah, you know, Steve
2: Jobs was the same. There's, it's, it's that innate thinking mm. within an entrepreneurial person of how can I use it, not what is, what's the tech.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I think his story, Steve Jobs' story about how he came up with the the original um, iPod, Mm. was watching his daughter carrying loads of CDs and going, why can't we just put those all into a portable device and that you can carry? And everyone looked at him. There was no way that the hard drives could carry it and how would you get the music licences and all those things. And so it looked like a totally insurmountable Mm. problem. Of course, he fixed it.
2: Well, that's how I went through the semesters because each time we had to do something... We would look at it as if... Because it, it's never been done, whether it be 3D printed food or, or augmented reality that we did with IBM that um, that was an overlay on the phone that you could see... It was at Wimbledon. You could see strawberries for sale over there. Big Q at the ladies' loo over there. And uh, the whole thing at the beginning was that it was put onto Google Android. and We made the measure of success all about the PR as to what it could do for people. People couldn't actually make the technology work in, in for that particular Wimbledon. Right. But then the next year, and we put it onto iOS and to iPhone, and we did a deal with the BBC. So therefore, for Wimbledon for two weeks, you had this overlay, this augmented reality overlay overlay on your phone. And you heard a war go up on call one, and you could pan your phone around and you could see exactly what was happening. It was a live stream through oh, the really? BBC. Nice. So you could almost see through walls.
3: Yeah.
2: Now, when someone first says that, that they want to do it, it's just, it's a journey. It's like a game of snakes and ladders. You know, you go up a couple of um, ladders and you slide Runs down a, a, a few snakes until you, but you have a vision as to where you want to be, but you can't always, you can't plan that vision on a PowerPoint. And you can't say, you know, give them the 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 step by step as to how you're going to get there. It's it's time and patience and the right partners and trust um, and small teams, never large teams because that's when things don't get done.
1: Yeah, uh, what do they call it? A development by committee never works. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. So okay, so you, you're you're in Ogilvy Labs. You're it's going great guns. Yeah. Year on year is happening. You're mm. seeing cool companies. Yeah. Um, you were telling me about a wonderful event that you organised where you flew various people in from around the world. Um, it, I, I want you to tell the story only because it tells a little bit more about the character of Nicole. Um, go on.
2: I didn't think you were going to bring that up. I told you that at lunchtime. I know, you should Okay. So we had a lab day. I think we were doing a startup semester. And the lab day is the end of a semester. So during the semester, i had started seeing all these startups around, especially Southern Europe, who were doing amazing things. And they were aged between 18 and 25. And that was when Greece was going broke and um, Portugal were going broke. Because there were no jobs, these young kids were starting up their own companies because there was no job to go to. So there were some beautiful um, startups that were um, emerging and in Moscow as well, Skolkovo. So I started within the semester at the beginning of the six months, started looking around all of these different countries and, and things that were coming out of that space. And on the lab day, I thought I'm going to ask someone from Moscow to come over, someone from... Um, from Venice and Italy, a, a guy at Maurizio who runs H Farm, someone from Better E, guy that runs um, Better E in Lisbon, and these are all startup accelerator and incubator labs. So I had them speaking on a panel, and I had someone then um, who was supposed to facilitate the session, and he just started talking and talking and talking. I could see these people that I'd flown in just sitting on the sofa and think, and I'm panicking, thinking we're getting nothing out of the, the people on the sofa and this facilitator is just talking and talking. I'm not having it. And so in front of, I don't know, 500 people <laughs> when it was being filmed, <laughs> I went to the front of the stage and I just said to the facilitator while he's mid-flow, like, what the F are you doing? Yes. And um, <laughs> he said, well, I'm, I'm facilitating this session. I said, no, you're not. And he then said, uh, I said, let them speak. He said, well, if you think you can do it better, then you come up here. I said I will <laughs> so I stormed the stage because I just I, this red mist just came over me and I just thought this is not right for people watching for the people that I'd, I'd flown in we want to hear their stories and we're running out of time and they kind of gave me the microphone and um, and it, it, it was fine it it, it, it. On YouTube, it's quite funny.
1: Yes, we won't mention who he or she is. <laughs> yeah. But they are a well known V C. Yeah. Let's just leave it at that. Mm.
2: But that, that but goes, that's the fearlessness, I guess,
1: of me. Yeah, and that that's I guess the the maverick, the fearlessness, mm. you know, that that, that can do attitude. Mm. Where did that come from?
2: <sighs> Probably... Um, Uh, Nurture and nature so parents definitely had something to do with it my dad um, definitely had something to do with it my mum wouldn't take any rubbish from anyone she was quite scary Um, but also Dave Trott was was a a, a, everyone feared him at Gold Trot. Trott
1: let's talk about Dave and then we'll come back to your parents so Mm. who is Dave Trott and how do you know him
2: um, he was my first boss when I was 19. Okay. And he ran he ran actually three agencies with his name on Gold Greenlee's Trot, um, Baines Fair Sharky Trot, Walsh Trot. <laughs> and he's now written, I think he's on his fourth book, which is brilliant. I must. Nothing
1: to do with Dale Boy and Trotters. No. No, that's fine. Although he is an
2: East End boy. He's
1: an East End good boy. Yeah. Lad.
2: Okay. Um, and he's uh, schooled in New York, I think. At, at pratt um institute and so he was just there was there's just no one like him he's very straight talking his books are amazing you must definitely read them his latest one creative blindness is is out and it's such a brilliant read and his blog posts he's a very inspiring guy and to work for everyone was really scared of him because um, I ran his traffic department a little bit like a football team. So we oh, got so. Sorry.
1: Explain, what's a traffic department?
2: Traffic is. Because <laughs> most people
1: are going to be thinking, hmm, what? Traffic lights, no, roads. So it's what's a traffic? progress
2: department? control Okay, within a large agency. So makes things happen on time, doesn't go over budget, the right people see it. Um, and you were 19? Uh, 20 when I was okay. running it. Yeah, 20.
1: Still very young. It
2: was. And everyone was scared of him and uh, whatever Dave said went. And we'd have these traffic meetings every week and people would be really scared as to turning up and saying that something hadn't been approved. And um, I guess I was never scared because I was his mouthpiece, right. I guess. And we ran the creative department like a well-oiled machine. It was it was like a football team. So if you were in the goal, don't come out and try and score like a forward so everyone had to take responsibility for their actions, and that's pretty much how I work now. So I did a job recently with um, with a la with an FMCG. Uh, I, I can't really talk about much about the job, but and they and I, but I never actually met them until the day of of when this huge workshop happened, because it was just four people on the team to his side to my side. We did everything on Slack or WhatsApp or whatever. We took uh, responsibilities for everything we needed to get done on a certain day and a certain time. We never missed uh, a a call each week to make sure that everything was moving forward. And the first time he met me was on the day of the event that it was happening with 60 of his global supply teams um, that were coming over um, from London from all different countries. And um, and I literally had to take a photograph of myself and send it to him and saying, this is what I look like. But it just shows you the power of getting stuff done yeah. and taking responsibility.
1: So, so you're very young. You're you're in an 80s, we called it the analogue world earlier. Yeah. Um, there's a wonderful story. Let, let's talk a little bit about your book. And we're going to come back onto to how that book came. But one of the stories in your book I love <laughs> is is going to dave's boss and not accepting no can you tell us a little bit about that
2: yeah you're really picking some funny stories, of some naughty stories uh, well nicole i i, I only pick <laughs> the ones that you did <laughs> so there was um a big pitch for fosters you remember fosters with paul hogan yes and um, we were and uh, gold greenley's trot were pitching for that and it was maybe midnight and all these scripts were typed and th- You know, we had to, through progress control, they all had to be stamped. They all had to be signed and dated. And then when they'd been approved by Dave and then by the account person, then they could get um, put into the document. So it was maybe midnight, one in the morning. And we'd finally got all of those scripts done. Maybe there were 20 of them or something. And they were all stamped and they were all signed by Dave. And then I went to go downstairs to give them to the uh, uh, the chairman who was running um, Gold and Green is part and part of being
1: the traffic person yeah. yes the okay. part of being
2: you know, the one who's making things happen on time etc so I go down to where they're practicing a room full of people and I say to him these are the scripts now he needs to look through them and sign them and he just really made me feel like a piece of rubbish and just said just leave them over there like you silly girl type thing yeah and I just said no <laughs> So he said, said, I told you, just leave them. Do as I say, type thing. And I just said, no, Dave has signed them all and looked through them all. You need to sign them and look through them all. They need to be put into the deck for tomorrow. I'm not leaving here until you've looked through them. He barged past me. This is in front of um, quite a few people. And he went to go upstairs to obviously uh, moan to Dave about me. I ran up the stairs and and kind of well,
1: got... Your heart must have been beating. This is the chairman of your company.
2: I don't know. It was many years ago now, Sam. I, mean, right. I was maybe 21. Right. Um, you know, I'm I'm not 21 anymore. Not far off, but go on. Um, so I got to the top of the stairs and all I could hear was Dave say, well, oh, Nick's just doing her job. You do need to sign them. I've signed them. Take a look at them. And he totally had my back. And I got a magnum of champagne at the Christmas party that year for being the only one who will ever stand up to, they used to call him Lexi, Mike Greenlees, um, the only one ever to stand up to Lexi. Oh,
1: and I love that story, by the way. <laughs> so I, I had to ask you to tell it. But but is this the same person who took you then into Ogilvy? No, it no. was
2: it was someone else who worked within, I think it was Managing Director at the time. Okay. He might have been in the room at the time. Um, Paul Simons, who then set up Simons Palmer, which was an offshoot of Gold Greenlees' chart. Um, and so, Carl Johnson was also at, um, at GGT at that time, who now runs Anomaly. Simon Clemo then set up Simon, uh, Clemo Hornby. So, we all kind of came from the stock of um, of Dave. Right. And so from GGT, it was Simons Palmer and then Ogilvy and I was 20, um, 17 years almost at, at Ogilvy with that brief that never really changed that had me move them um, in, you know, into a, a digital world.
1: So going back, I, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes now, which is fairly mm. really hard in the sense <laughs> that um, I think at 20... Yeah, you know, I I was an army officer. Um, command and control <laughs> was fairly strong. Yeah, um, and me going and it up to a, a second. yeah, and me going up to a general and going, nah, I don't really fancy yeah. going over the top today, or or just saying no to him. Yeah. you know, if he'd told me to go out, it would be three bags full and march myself the other way.
2: Yeah,
1: um, but where did you get that core strength? Was that your mum and dad, or was that something else that gives you it? Where do you think you get that from?
2: I think he said
1: nurture and nature. So yeah, I
2: think it's my values that have been installed. And in who gave you those? Your my parents. parents yeah. yeah, which is just do the best you can do, be truthful, brutally honest, and that's how I get things done. Because I'll go really to the to the. I'll see through someone who's being fake or not authentic, or because you can't you can't make things happen mm-hmm. if you are not brutally truthful. Um, and that kind of went with the territory when I left Ogilvy and they wanted to try and lie about why I was leaving and I was having none of it because for me the truth is the truth and you just have to deal with it and be um, as long as you can lay your head down at night and know that you're a decent person and you've done everything you can um, to the best of your ability I guess those were attributes from my parents that having that strength of character strong uh, some self-esteem to to know that um the truth was the the main thing that kind of kept me going so
1: has been overly truthful ever got you into
2: trouble uh yeah it was uh, that's a good one actually there's um where I had a a a life coach for a little while I think I mentioned and she was amazing and she you know I always proud Pride myself on going to places where I know no one and nothing. That's the best learning you could possibly get. You know, when we were doing uh, streaming semester, I go to these streaming conferences, and I literally they wouldn't care where I was from. I had never heard of Ogilvy and and they would set telling me all these different things. And I my learning capacity was phenomenal, and meeting amazing people was so exciting. And where they took energy from that, yes. And and I'm a connector. I'm and so therefore whatever the problem is I now know who to go to who can fix it so I remember saying to this life coach she said to me you know I need to get you out of your comfort zone I think a little bit and I said what do you mean I'm always out of my comfort zone i go to things I know no one I know nothing she said yeah that's your comfort zone (laughs) so I said well well what isn't then she said it's it's more the emotional intelligence it's soft skills it's Understanding that when you're in your tank and you need to get to the other side, because that's you need to move forward and, and implement it and do it. There's there's a few little casualties along the way. Some flowers you might have um, gone gone over, gone yes. over, and and you just need to be a little bit more understanding of of people, and then. And then I realised that I'd never really been through anything for me to feel those emotions and that empathy until kind of the the crap hit the fan and, you know, went through divorce and my mum was diagnosed with terminal cancer and then Ogilvy closed down the lab and all these things hit me at once. And then I started to understand, oh my God, that really hurts, that's really painful. And uh, a girlfriend, one of my best friends, where I used to say, kind of, come on, you know, get over him and onwards and upwards suddenly i'm just as paralyzed so i think it was she was really good in helping me at that time um understand emotional intelligence do emotional intelligence testing with my team so that their strengths were my weaknesses my strengths were their weaknesses always play to um not say to them you're rubbish at that you need to get better i would always say you're rubbish at that don't do it that uh, other person over here is good at it, so they can do that, and you concentrate on what you love. And so my team were were um, just got the best out of everyone because I started understanding that way of of working much more. Yeah, I mean, I,
1: and I I fully agree. And I, I want to come back to the emotional thing in a second. The the when I was at Microsoft, um, I had one boss who me and her did not get on, and um, I couldn't. I tried really hard you yeah. know I loved working for Microsoft I was I was there late at night I was there early in the mornings I'd volunteer for everything I'd, I'd really try mm. and whatever I did I could never really progress past her yeah um, can't do right for doing wrong yeah and, and so eventually I left and, mm. and, and you know and, and that's that's sad but that's what happens um, but my wife oh my my partner Gillian gave me a book that um, Microsoft was putting to all their staff at the time yeah. it's a book called strength finder so there was Myers and Briggs was the thing yes. at the time and you know and clearly you know you and I will be on the extrovert end <laughs> of that scale um but but he, besides that it didn't the really NFP. give me much more oh god you're an extrovert, really I, Hannah, I, I never knew that's yeah. a that's a revelation no so but strength finder is exactly the book that uh you've just described yeah um I didn't realise, you know, what my strengths were particularly. Mm. Well, I did some of them, but th- I was young, so it didn't give me that um, core. And in the book it says, if you are Linford Christie, yeah, there's no point running like Paula Radcliffe. Cross country training. Mm. Don't try and make Linford Christie a better cross country runner, and don't make Paula Radcliffe a better hundred yeah. meter sprinter. Focus on what you're good at, mm. and it, it was great. And at that moment, I had an epiphany. It was like, okay, I'm not good at these ten other things, so I'm I'm, I'm a pretty bad finisher, right? I'm a great starter. Yeah, uh, I, I charge in, make change. I'm louder than life, and I, I, I that's what I love doing. You yeah. know, coming in, drop me in the middle off I go. Yeah. But the T's and C's, the crossing the T's, dotting the I's, the Mm. boring bits that have to be done, and they do. Yeah, detail. I don't do.
2: It's funny because corporations, and this is also one of the things that I disrupted when I was there, obviously doing things differently with my team to how everyone else did their stuff. They would do these 360 reviews and I just never bothered doing them. Um the 360 reviews would tell you what you're bad at or what someone has said you're bad at yeah, and you so, need okay. to get better at. So you'd feel rubbish all the time yeah. because you would just feel... Because that's not your strength. Um, so I, I, all of those kind of things I just didn't do with my team. And slowly but surely, the people that worked with me um, across the group or the group companies... And the people that I work with now, because I, I run a leverage business model, so I pull in from the gig economy um, people who where it's their strength to, depending on what the job is that I've got, I pull in the right people who, where it's their strength to, to help me with a particular project. And um, I find it quite easy to spot strengths, the rough diamonds, if you like, which is why we call the book rough well, diamond
1: that, a great intro to it so you've got the book called rough diamonds what is a rough diamond
2: you me um the curious ones but
1: are, are we always rough diamonds or do
2: we have, Do we
1: ever become smooth diamonds um you know the polished diamond no so, i
2: think you learn don't you? wisdom as you get older and if you're someone that takes responsibility for your actions then obviously you're constantly learning yeah that there's another way of doing things the rough diamond for me when i there's it's twofold it's one being a mum with with my son max and who was about to be expelled from school you know literally over and over and over again and when i really got down to it with the headmaster it was mainly because um he was a naughty boy because he kept asking well why and who says and how come and uh, and that, that was called naughty and disruptive. Right. And but it, was, it isn't. It isn't. And so I got, you know, we had a really good success story with, with Max in the end and he ended up deputy head boy because we got a translator teacher in, someone who understood Max and and who also understood the teachers. So if Max had an issue with a teacher, he could go to Mr Wilson. Mr Wilson could then translate... So Max was, you know, he ended up um, a deputy head boy and then ended up at university and got a first. And no, I never put pressure on him. He always did it himself. He was just an amazing kid. But it made me then think at the time I was going through that with Max, what happens to all these other 14 to 16 year olds who are amazing kids, but they're told that they're naughty and they don't have mums like me, perhaps. And they end up—they don't know what they don't know—and they end up in a Tesco's checkout. And actually, there could be so much more yeah. for them.
1: So that's the rough diamond
2: that I set up a scheme at Ogilvy where I wanted to move Ogilvy in particularly the stuff I was doing with technology away from always hiring white middle-class Oxbridge educated. Okay, I wanted a diversity not just in colour but in thinking. Um, And the rawness of maybe the mother's a single parent, maybe there's an alcoholic, maybe all these maybes. I wanted the survivors who were still amazing, who thought differently um, to come into that environment. Why?
1: What did you think you were going to gain? Because uh, I I was interviewing um, Jeremy Waits yesterday, who's the IBM Mm. AI specialist and Works on Watson, and we were talking about the first AI people were seven white middle-aged men yeah. who did that, and the only time they got diversity was when they started to have Chinese AI. But all men again, you know, all of the yeah. same age, all university. Yeah, um, women only came into the conversation recently. Um, And we are seeing this in the white bro culture of Google Mm. and and, and many companies in the Valley. So why were you so prescient in thinking we need a diversity of, of thinking
2: because my job was to bring them into the 21st century and I was finding the people that were doing the work currently were just always doing the same things over and over again and expecting a change
1: oh what you know my like Theresa May with her Brexit yeah, yeah.
2: so I wanted some kid, the kids to come in and say well what if you do it like this or, or or take a kindle and, and hack it just because they wanted to see what it did with weather in panama or i don't know just just to see just to be curious not to just know that there's one answer and um and you have to wait till the end of the book yeah the
1: expected you... outcome will only come from those yeah who, who follow the
2: path but you wanted someone off the path i wanted someone to just think right um divergent thinking is what so Ken Robinson calls in his yeah. creativity and education. And obviously I, I really got heavily into all of that because I was passing all those... TED Talks on to the headmaster for my own son right? Um, which he then started talking about in class assemblies I then found out <laughs> my kids were like my mum's been at the headmaster again but um, even when I first suggested doing that at Ogilvy the chairman at the time said I, that is not what I want you to do with the labs that's not at all how I see it I said but it's imperative the fu- for future talent with what we're doing right now with all the changes they, they, they take to it so much better And um, he said, no, I don't want you doing it. So I ignored him and for two years did it under the radar, the rough diamond scheme. And one day he came down to my office and said, I've just had lunch with the dean of Ravensbourne. um, Sir Robin Baker, I think his name was at the time. And I said, oh, and we've been doing this much stuff with them. And he said, that was a really good idea of mine as in his (laughs) he took it but he was he was joking Uh, but I was lucky to get away I just knew I couldn't do a powerpoint presentation for him and explain how I knew that it was going to work but oh my god we had some incredible kids that come through there and also just by having them in say the 14 year olds for a week before they went on to the program Um, One of them, um, she was really down, we'd take take them out for lunch and I'd be able to say, you know, what is it that's on your mind? And she said, I'm really frightened, Um, I'm upset that my mum's upset and my teacher's because I'm failing English. Turns out the girl is, um, uh, she's come from the Congo and she's fluent in five languages, Congolese, Spanish, French, English. So I'm like, oh my God, you're a genius. But she didn't realise that because she's marked on just English. Right. So um, it's good to be able to give them a little bit of, um, you know, infusion of you're amazing by not being tested. Right. By just being human and opening up in conversation.
1: Now, the labs itself and the Rough Diamond programme, do you think every company should be doing this, having a dedicated person within the company who's... Job is to go and find people to bring in who are diverse yeah. to be curious on the outside.
2: Yeah, I mean, but whose you, job is it? Well, you have that a lot with there's companies when they do. I know Jit Singh before his company was bought by WPP. Um, can't, Digit I think it was called he did a job swap with a, a head chef at the cinnamon club oh nice and what transpired was that he ended up making these um, sausages and they ended up being called Dowjit sausages and he then they then started to be sold at Waitrose and that was just from him going into a kitchen environment and the head chef going into a digital agency environment you find these things happen um, anyway because there are people that don't see it as their job. They want to just enhance and do, thing, do things that are, are a little bit left of field. I would come in and I would make that happen. Whereas someone might have this weird idea. I'll say, come on then, and then we'll do it. The problem you have with a lot of companies is that they are not measured on doing those weird ideas. They're measured on a financial outcome most of the time. Within the labs, we measured on six things. So, little bit of revenue, reputation, retention of existing staff, recruitment of new diverse talent, relationships, that's the black book, and responsibility, giving back. So, as long as everyone within the lab, you know, did those six R's, then we were okay. But most other people within a corporate um, shareholder environment, their KPI is purely on the measure of finance. Which so is why the labs closed down in the end.
1: Oh, so what? Because they weren't measurable, for, or weren't profitable.
2: They they weren't running a P and L profit and loss, and therefore, um, and they didn't have a client paying for them. So therefore, they were seen as back office costs, soft uh, costs. Okay,
1: they couldn't envisage that the the actual cost mm-hmm. that they were generating from having you at the leading edge of things. Was...
2: Well, that's the role of a CEO that's not enlightened and is looking at an Excel spreadsheet. For many years, I did have enlightened CEOs. Um, so But you're asking me, why Why don't they? And I think a lot of the reason why a lot of people don't get more is because their, their KPIs are not set um, on those values.
1: So, I mean, for me, who's never been in the world you've been in, in the Ogilvy-type world, the agency world, the only i ever knew of ogilvy was the trend reports that used to come out every year Mm. Uh, and um oh his his my his name's just rory
2: sutherland yes
1: rory yeah and so that was that was the other two parts of it so ogilvy was this call for me Mm. company doing a lot yeah they seem to have stopped all of that now I
2: think the whole whole industry, isn't it? The whole industry is falling off the edge of a cliff and trying to work, not just that industry, but I think a lot of industries have been disrupted. Yeah. um, Which is quite nice for me because I turn disruption into an advantage. Into a business even. Exactly. And it's just also by asking the right questions. And when I used to do that um, in corporate large, when I was at Ogilvy, they didn't like the questions, especially not the CEO at the time. But when I do it for myself within my consultancy company, for instance, I did a job recently with um, with this with Danone. And um, they said to me that they wanted me to help them with w- what their supply chain is going to look like. Yeah. So I said, well, before I do that, go away and just tell me who else you're working with so I don't double up and find the same companies when I'm going to look to, uh, you know, who you can work with across your supply chain Um, for infants, baby nutrition, um, from cow to consumer. He said, we're not working with anyone. So I said, I, I just knock down the silos a little bit of your company. Just go around, just ask a few questions. Don't I don't want to waste your time, my time, the company's time. That's who I'm going to find by introducing you to people that you'll never use because your another part of the company is already doing it. So he came back after a day and he said, "Oh my god!" He said, "You're worth your money before you've even started." I've just unearthed the head of innovation in Paris, and I've unearthed that um, our worldwide IT are working with Accenture on three different blockchain companies (laughs) nice so I went that's great let's bring them all into the mix because you're already working with them so now let's attach them to your bit of the company so knock down all of those silos so again it's just it's asking those right questions and for the person you're asking um, wants the same outcome
1: we're going to play one track before the news this is Sade, why Sade?
2: I love Sade. She's um, mellow, cool. I, I don't feel that her music is dated.
1: I do as well. I think she's great. And this one is Smooth Operator. Yay. Rough Diamond, <laughs> Smooth Operator. We'll be going up to the news very shortly. And after that, we're going to find out why you wrote a book. Okay. Chardé and Smooth Operator so we've been learning a little bit about you Nicole about you being a disruptor and, and making change happen really uh, and through your career all the way to what you're doing now um, the book when did you start writing the book so um, the
2: book came about
1: the book came about. Let me put your mic up. God, it's amateur hour over this end of the mic, yes.
2: Um, the book came about... Um, it's not, you know, when people say, oh, you must have always wanted to write a book. No, I didn't. It wasn't even something that I I thought about. It was... Um, I came... Ogilvy closed down the lab, and it was my baby, and I'd set that up from scratch, blank sheet of paper type thing. And um, I came away from there, and I went on interviews, and I also started setting up NYC, and I found with interviews that I was almost unemployable.
1: Well, we're going to find out why you did the book.
0: To ask Sam a technology question or give him feedback, please join our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology, and leave a comment. Don't forget to tell your friends.
1: Hello, Nicole. Again, Hello, welcome Sam. back. I've really love that first hour. Um, we're going to find out. We were teasing out a little bit why you wrote a book because you know most people don't write books. Mm. Um, what led you to write a book?
2: So I was jobless, um, and I were, um, My mum had been diagnosed with terminal cancer.
1: Ah, okay.
2: And I um, had just taken over the mortgage on the house from. Um, my ex husband and so it was a, a horrible time. And I just thought it'd be good for me to just get away to go somewhere I know no no one I know, know nothing. And I went to something called Summit at sea and um, which is where you're put onto this boat with three thousand other people off the coast of Miami, international waters, no Wi Fi. Um it's like Davos meets Burning Man meets um Ted.
1: Well, talks and it still goes on today.
2: Not on a boat; it goes on in LA and also Powder Mountain. It's called the it's called Summit. Okay. Summit. And so this, I mean, it was the most phenomenal speakers and, and environment. And anyway, um, I'm in this jacuzzi on this boat. <laughs> with a few people um and everyone you meet i mean there's quentin tarantino on this boat i mean just john legend sorry how
1: did you get an invite to this boat
2: because i've been around a long time and i've no yeah so it was um it was amazing and it was non-hierarchical no vip everyone just kind of um you know ate together and um it was it was a really really good atmosphere so I'm in this jacuzzi and I'm talking to this guy, and, and he said, Who are you? And I said, I'm Nicole from Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> Because you don't have your, you know, this big cloak over you anymore of yeah, you know, head of the innovation. Su- the super title, my name yes. is super
1: big director yes. thing.
2: So you're just, I'm Nicole from Nicole and we start chatting and he said, oh my God, you've got some incredible stories. You're you're a woman in tech, you've been um, pushing the boundaries. They say, no, you do it anyway. You, you should you know, write this down. He said, I'm a publisher and I really do think you've got a good story. So I said, I'm, I'm not a writer. This is, you know, that's not something that I, that I do. He said, well, you should seriously think about it and I think you should do it. So I we stayed in touch. I remembered his name. Um, obviously, I couldn't give him a business card because I was in a bikini <laughs> <laughs> and got off the, the boat, remembered his name, connected with him on LinkedIn. And then we started to have these weekly calls because he's based in Vegas and I was based in London. And we got to this point where we were, this was maybe in the November, the labs closed down in maybe the September. And he, we put in a date of the diary in the the, um, beginning of Feb for him to come over and we'd got the titles, the chapters down and what the book was going to be called. And I said to him, how many words a chapter? He said, probably about 4,000. I'm like, oh, this is really difficult. Anyway, and then my mum passed um, in the January and his, his... was still booked to come over and I just he came over and I just said really I'm this isn't something that I can do he said but you told your mum you were doing a book so that was the impetus really because my mum did know that I was going to start writing a book and I couldn't then uh, not and so I then started writing it and found it really difficult and my my partner John said um I said, you know, I'm a speaker, and I, I express myself in that way. He said, well, why don't you try this app called Day One, and okay. it's um, is it, that an
1: Amazon app?
2: No, it's uh, it's on the App Store. It's it's a journal app.
1: And I only asked because that is Jeff Bezos' name of the building. It's called oh, okay. Day One. Okay. And they don't have Day Two.
2: Oh.
1: Yeah, sorry. I just wanted so, to hand no, the link. No, it's
2: it's an app called Day One, okay. and it's a journal app. And I started um, because we had the the chapters down. I started to do to talk into it, and I do one paragraph, go back and and make any changes, do another paragraph. Before I knew it, one chapter was down, another chapter was down. Sixteen chapters later, and and I'd written a book that became an Amazon number one bestseller. Nice, I know,
1: and I've read it. <laughs> so um, let's go about the, the the main ethos of the book is rough diamonds. Yeah. We talked a little bit about what rough diamonds are. Yeah, um, do you can you instantly tell a rough diamond? Is this is there a yeah. trait?
2: It's it's curiosity, just curiosity, um, and truthfulness, and say what they do and do what they say so strong values
1: okay so um millennials snowflakes
2: yeah. <laughs> are they um obviously it, it's uh, is that gen- a sweeping statement yes it is it's it's like anything isn't it we do like to generalize and and i'm just as bad as, as anyone else but i am lucky i do you know i have a 20 almost 24 year old and a 22 year old two very different children and my 20, almost 24 year old, she went through school straight A student. They didn't even know what I looked like at the school. I never went up there. <laughs> she was, she reared herself quite like, like ad fab. She was <laughs> Safi and I was a Dina. Okay,
1: that, yeah. I get the image now. Yeah. So
2: um, she, she's, a, you know, my kids are millennials. So therefore, I am able to to really have a good understanding of of what it is that they're going through so straight a student got a first from from leeds uni and out there in the workplace um gets a job on a graduate trainee scheme starts thinking okay you know this is this is what you're supposed to do and starts the the job and after literally a couple of months he's just crying pretty much every day and just saying i really hate it is is this it and I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> they were micromanaging her. It would take her a week to get an email out. They change and to the they get her doing the most ridiculous things. They wouldn't they wouldn't allow her to just be herself and come up with different ideas. The tube journey was unbearable. It wasn't nine till five. It was really seven till ten. Yeah. Um and she'd then have a Saturday and Sunday and then it would be going round again to the following week. And but her dad, in you know, that's the difference with our parenting skills, and which is why we kind of split as well. He would come at it from a Victoriana, you know, where this is it, Claudia, you know, get to grips with with work now and suck up and see. yeah, Yeah, this is what life's all about. And I basically said, it doesn't have to be. So we then went on a little. I said to Claudia, why don't you come with me to launch my book in LA? Launch it as if it's your own book. You do everything. Get me to the right places, the right uh, amount of books, the right. Because LA is such a big, sprawling place. She worked wonders with the diary as to where you needed to be. You've got to see these people in this side of town. And she was phenomenal. She. Literally, she, she killed it. She,
1: she grew her wings. And,
2: yeah, yeah, and um, and you do not want to be on her to-do list. I mean, she really <laughs> is. I don't know where she gets that from. <laughs> I have no idea. And so she loved it. And right. she then went back into that role because she'd taken 10 days off and she went back into the, the graduate trainee role and she just went, I can't do it. And then my partner, he does this amazing... Um, uh, he has this company, where um, part of the company and there's a lot of... Um, science and data to it but part of the company is he draws on 100 foot walls um the the strategy is called structured visual thinking mm, nice. and he did a wall for her as to what were her likes and dislikes and wants and need all of those things um and he'd never done it on a person before he does it with very large corporations mm. to kind of get all the right conversations going and the right information in front of you up on a wall um, so there's no hiding place. Anyway, he did this with her. And it was a revelation because then, she then worked out that she loved doing exercise and keep fit. And she then went the route of personal trainer. We converted our um, garage into a gym in the house. And now she runs her own company. And she's learned more doing that. And she runs, she's also a portfolio of clients. So she helped set something up in um, Davos this year.
1: Really? Um, okay. House
2: of FinTech with a, with uh, somebody where they literally had like a couple of weeks and she really did keep them sane by making sure that she was doing the detail that that we don't like to do when we're creating so she has a portfolio of clients and now she's on that on you know that entrepreneur's route of hustling and but she wouldn't have it any other way because she can't go back because pandora's box has been opened yeah with the freedom yeah Um, so however difficult it is she knows that she's in control of her life her diary her travel technology means you can travel and pretty much work anywhere
1: yeah digital backpackers exactly
2: so I've gone through that journey with her and it was a really really good lesson for me to just sit back and not try and fix anything and just let her work her way through and vent at times because it's you know it's really easy for uh, people like me the fixes doers to then say what she should be doing but I, I I managed to kind of hold back and she's not a snowflake
1: no um no and I, I think my eldest daughter's not going to be one either mm. um she she's certainly very single-minded and does not take no for an answer
2: and they don't want to put up with the it's that curiosity well why why are you making me do that
1: Yeah, I mean, another friend's daughter went to Bristol University, did a history degree, total waste of time, total waste of money nearly, Mm. Um, did two hours of lectures a week, Mm. paid the £9,000, comes out with her history degree, does well from a Red Brick University, you think she might get, you know, a half decent job. Yeah. Ends up working for, I won't say a big agency in London, wasn't Ogilvy, mm. it was one of Ogilvy's competitors. I hated it, micromanaged, yeah. tried everything she gave, extra hours, worked, yeah. wanted to get more projects, get some, nothing. Pay was frozen, held down, yeah. nothing. So she said, I'm not going anywhere fast. So she ended up going to work for a startup, it sells um, a fruit juice in yeah. most of the big supermarkets. And she's loving it mm-hmm. because she's now having to roll up her sleeve. She's doing yeah. everything from, you know, live.
2: That's where the learning comes. Absolutely. And yeah.
1: I look at my daughter now um, and, and I think university was good for her to go to. Yeah. Not for the degree. I'm not sure the degree is going to give no, her anything. No, it's, but it's
2: learning of life of how to manage with money, budgets. You've not you've got money coming in. How much you have got coming out? Do your own washing, cooking.
1: I, I wish there was another way of doing that without her having to go to university. Mm. I mean, if she was more entrepreneurial and had a more technical leaning, and she hasn't, she's she's possibly entrepreneurial, but she hasn't got a technical leaning. Um, I would have put her on something like you know textiles. You know, in the USA, yeah. get. Get your £150,000 or dollars worth of funding, two or three of you, start a company and yeah. and learn and, and go live over there, right? Go and live in the States, like going to university. Yeah. Go, go and grow up, go and have to rent your own place and live and yeah. start a company and do that. And, and that would be how I wished she would have gone. I, I seriously think universities are going to be... Terrorists here uh, are not the first choice. Yeah, going there's forward. a lot
2: of um, ammunition coming, f- um, especially from the States, with um, colleges and where they're with the bribing. Yes. And um, to get their kids in. I think, no, everyone is different. Everyone um, wants to do what right by their kids, but I think their kids are very wise. They're not snowflakes and they know what they want and they know what they don't want. And they know how they want to feel. And, um, they don't necessarily want to buy it. you know, when you say, you know, you're going to get married, you're going to get a mortgage and you need to have a kid. And they, they're not really that bothered by following those rules that have been imprinted on, on to say, the generations before. Yeah. So they're going to do things how they want to do things, which isn't always in how you did things. You've just <laughs> got to be open-minded, open-hearted for them to live the life they want to live.
1: So what do you see as the future of work then?
2: Um... I think gig economy is really exciting because it allows for people to connect up and fix any kind of problem that you could possibly have. There's nothing that can't be solved where you can't know someone who knows someone to make something happen. And they're in charge of their own destiny. They, can, they don't have to have an office. They don't have to um, employ loads of people and have to worry about all of the things that you worry about as you climb that ladder i never had those kind of wants to climb a corporate ladder and be on a board or i could frankly couldn't think of anything worse and i do question uh, when i go to like she says i spoke at recently and one of the questions was how can they get up that ladder more quickly and i said well why would you want to really have you thought about it do you want do you really want that position
1: because well, no, people see the ladder as as, as money mm. right it's the money ladder I go up the ladder. It goes back to what you said five minutes ago. You know, you were Nicole from Nicole on the boat, right? You weren't Nicole yeah. from Ogilvy, yeah. director of the Innovation Lab. You yeah. know, that gives you – I've gone to so many events where, I, you know, I was, I was Netscape's European Marketing Product Manager or Gateway's e-commerce director. Yeah. You know, and I could have said absolutely anything and people just listen. Mm. Then you walk in, hi, I'm Sam from – as you say, Sam, nowhere. <laughs> oh, clearly, you've got no value. Then you, there's nothing interesting about you. You've not got a title. That's where
2: it's changed now. Because, it? yeah, I do. Mm. Because the the um, the corporate worlds are struggling to get those people to want to even work there because they're not offering what they need to offer. They're not working how they want to um, work. They're called snowflakes because they want a different kind of way of managing them. They're still. Those structures are still operating the same way they did for the industrial revolution.
1: Yes, they are. Just a school is though. School is exactly yeah. that. So
2: I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a big disruptor to especially education. I mean, um, don't get me started on that. No, do. <laughs> <laughs> what would you change? Um, well, I'm the I'm a trustee on a, a school called Ideas College that we're trying to get off the ground, which is a free school. Um, which is creative free school, where you're pretty much allowed to learn what, whatever you really want to learn. And um, we've got a, a building at the moment in London Bridge that we're waiting for go-ahead. And so we'll, that actually will be a school of rough diamonds, you know, 14 to 17-year-olds, kids who are almost about to be expelled, and, and put into practice a new way of teaching that is going to help these kids. So I've been a trustee and trying to get that off the ground the last three years.
1: And... What's stopping it getting
2: off the ground? Funding? Uh, no, it's been funding It's going to be funded by the government, but right. you can't even imagine the hurdles of gazumping with real estate people and you've got a building and then they want it now and so they then pay more money to the the landlords. It's There's so much in it, I can't even begin to tell you. But we're still on that journey and none of us have kind of moved away. Um, so we'll be in our... 90s still wanting to get this school off the ground
1: oh no I I doubt it with you Nicole (laughs) the
2: the hassle that is going on at the moment with with the country I mean Uh, you
1: you said you weren't going to talk about it
2: but that's just a little example as to the bureaucracy that you're having in this world and why so many people are are pushing back on it
1: okay so we're fast running out of time I want to cover a few more topics with you Mm. so we've talked about your can do attitude mm. we've talked about disrupting we've talked about innovation labs we've talked about rough diamonds mm. um and the, the element you talked about was also diversity yeah women in companies yeah um i'm going to say something slightly controversial <laughs> i'm not sure i believe it but i've got to say it just yeah. to see what the reaction is uh, are we seeing tick boxes on boards, my wife and I'll see I'll, I'll this: mm. my wife is on six different uh, PLC boards, mm. um, and she comes back some days and just wants to pull her hair out because it's white men, accountants, city financiers who are non execs, Neds as they're called, mm. and basically she says it's an old boys' club still. Mm. And she goes in there, and I said to her, "To be honest with you, you're probably just the tick box they have to go through." Yeah. Do you think that it's changing or is it still, you know, from a woman's perspective, yeah. is it really changing or is it just the case of, well, it looks good on the PLC report that we've got a few women in and that's it. You know, how is it changing?
2: Um, it's changing slowly. Yeah. But it is changing. And it's probably changing more that a lot of the women that would have been on the board are probably doing their own thing.
1: OK, so... You- I guess that would be the better route for for your daughter, I clearly you're not going to advise her a, a, in a corporate role. You think she should go and do her own thing. Yeah. You think more women should just do their own
2: thing. I think that's what you're finding because they can. Right. Um and um, the the lure of working in a company and giving them your life and soul, as I did, as a lot of people did, yeah, and then li- literally just having um, just being kicked out without even a box of your things to walk out of the building with, is pretty soul destroying. And there's probably a lot of millennials that have seen their parents gone through that. And I think that. Um, Yes, it is a tick box to have a black, a yellow, a white, a green, a a female, a a disabled, all of those things. But um, if you're a a company that does that, then that's your responsibility to disrupt the status quo and find people within your organisation who are amazing people, who are worthy of those positions yeah i mean there's lots of women within those organizations who would be worthy of those positions whether they would want those positions is a whole other thing now is what i'm alluring to yeah
1: i I, we we were talking about just obviously i'm playing devil's advocate tick boxing i I think women do a lot more than just tick boxing by the way i Mm -hmm. think women do add a lot more i think we talked about emotional intelligence i think soft skills soft skills i mean there are always women who will pull the ladder up and, and, and two hoots to hoot still all those below them, yeah. but not many. I think women are more empathetic to team collaboration. I think men are very different. I mean, I've always said, you know, a woman will go for a job when she's overqualified, a man will go for a job when he's underqualified.
2: Yeah, I think that was the beauty of working at GGT and, um, and a lot of us women that came out of there, we're all the same. We are strong, we, we won't put up with any rubbish, Where we have good values and if something feels right then we'll say it.
1: Okay, so um, poor Theresa May, <laughs> <laughs> I only I, I mention it because I think she's been allowed through what they call a the glass ceiling mm. to what's called a glass cliff. She, she's a fall guy. Or I think girl. that was
2: always going to be the case, whoever was going to stand up to that mark because all the others turned their back.
1: Yeah, and all the men who she made the didn't. mess.
2: So it was always going to be a poison chalice, yeah. I think is, is what I'll say with that. Okay. But she stood up for that poison chalice.
1: I'm going to play you a track that you may not have heard of. Have you ever heard of LMA? No, I don't think so. Okay, you're a big fan of Sade, aren't you? Yes. Now, if you love Sade, yeah. you're going to love Ella It's like Sade's daughter who's been reborn. Okay. It's amazing. Good. We're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about Nicole, rough Diamonds. Yeah. yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> we'll see you in a few minutes.
0: Feelings, so deep in my feelings. Noticing really. Control my anxiety. Feeling like I'm touching the ceiling. When I'm with you, I can't breathe. Boy, you do something to me. Ooh, I'll never get over you until I find something new to get me high like. Yeah.
1: There we go. A little bit of Ella May. Did That's you like good. her?
2: Yeah, really
1: good. Yeah, she's she's one of my favourites. She's um, she's probably going to win the Brits next year. Wow. Yeah, she's a, she's an amazing singer. Mabel's the other one that I love, who is uh, Nene Cherry's. Cherry's daughter. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Ella May, look, check her out. Anyway, okay. um, back to you, what we've been talking about, though. Mm. Um, so, how can people find Nicole?
2: Well, the good thing is that there, as far as I know, there's only one me.
1: Massively good.
2: So if you imagine a Google search, you just search Nicole Yershon and there I am. (laughs) You
1: get your Twitter handle, you've got your Facebook handle.
2: It's all in my name. My parents obviously understood SEO at a very (laughs) early age. You know, that's that's what people are having to do
1: now. (laughs) Check their name. No, we can't call you John Smith. No. (laughs) Yeah, so, okay. so the NYC as well, which is... You know what your company is today yeah. and it wasn't new york corporation no, <laughs> um what what are you doing today what, what's happening with them if people want to engage with you how do they do it
2: yeah just um reach out on linkedin probably or twitter um facebook i mean all of those social channels um i do book launches um all over the world so if anyone wants to reach out and and get me in to do a book launch then i'm more than happy
1: and there may be an audible book coming out soon
2: yes i'm looking forward to (laughs) to doing that thank you
1: um also, uh, you're running something called Fearless Breakfasts.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a new thing that um, there's um, a girl that was also doing a similar job to the, what I was doing at Pearson in in London in New York, and so we're getting together. I we I had such a good experience of doing these breakfasts that aren't your usual breakfasts. They're they're actually solving problems. People get in. Um, they're they're small. They're ten people, and we're looking at to demystify the the crap that people are fed as to how they need to do affect change within their companies and because we've done it and we've gone through the pain and we've experienced uh, the problems and we know what solutions to put in place it's a very hands-on um small uh, breakfast about 90 minutes of proper proper conversation.
1: Nicole thank you very much for coming in today it's been a pleasure having you in.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week, same time, same place.